You are now listening to the April 25th broadcast of Unity in Christ. This hour, we have Story of Kings, Sermon, and Praying for the Next Generation. First, let's begin with Story of Kings. Hello, listeners. This is Brian from Story of the Kings. Last time we looked at how the prophet Samuel met Saul, who would become the first king of Israel. He anointed Saul and made him king. Today, we'll learn about what happened afterwards. Saul took his place as king in the midst of people's cheers. However, he returned to Gibeah and waited until he could act as a king. During that time, Israel was faced with a crisis. The Ammonites, who were relatives of the Israelites, invaded Israel. This relationship can be traced back to Abraham's nephew Lot and his two daughters, who were the only survivors when Sodom and Gomorrah was destroyed. Lot, who had sons through his two daughters, were the ancestors of Ammon and Moab. Even though they were relatives of Israel, they often went into battle with Israel. During Samuel's time, King Nahash, who ruled Ammon, attacked Israel's land of Jabesh-Gilead, which was east of the Jordan River. The people of Jabesh said, let's go and make a peace treaty with King Nahash, but Nahash proposed a cruel condition in the treaty. Let's read 1 Samuel chapter 11, verse 2. But Nahash the Ammonite said to them, I will make it with you on this condition, that I will gouge out the right eye of every one of you. Thus I will make it a reproach on all Israel. Then the elders of Jabesh-Gilead sent messengers to all the regions of Israel. A messenger arrived in Gibeah where Saul was living. The people of Gibeah heard the news and cried. Saul was herding the cattle and saw people crying. He was curious and asked the reason why they were crying. When Saul heard the reason, the Spirit of God went inside him, and he was greatly angered. Saul cut two cows into twelve pieces and sent each of them to the twelve tribes. Saul said that if they don't follow him and Samuel into this holy battle, then the cattle in their homes will become like this. Therefore, all twelve tribes followed Saul's order and gathered at Bezek. The total number of people who gathered was 300,000 descendants of Israel and 30,000 descendants of Judah. Early next morning, Saul divided the soldiers into three troops. They advanced to the center and attacked from early dawn until the late afternoon. They defeated Ammon and gained a great victory. Saul was victorious in the battle, and this is the kind of king the Israelites wanted. Saul and all the people went to Gilgal and made that place the capital. After that, they confirmed Saul as king, and they rejoiced and gave God a peace offering. When Saul became the king of Israel, 
Samuel knew it was time for him to step back. He gave up his role as a judge and said his farewell to the people. We'll read his words of farewell from 1 Samuel chapter 12, verses 6 through 15. Then Samuel said to the people, It is the Lord who appointed Moses and Aaron and who brought your fathers up from the land of Egypt. So now take your stand that I may plead with you before the Lord concerning all the righteous acts of the Lord which he did for you and your fathers. When Jacob went into Egypt, and your fathers cried out to the Lord, then the Lord sent Moses and Aaron, who brought your fathers out of Egypt and settled them in this place. But they forgot the Lord their God. So he sold them into the hand of Sisera, captain of the army of Hazor, and into the hand of the Philistine, and into the hand of the king of Moab, and they fought against them. They cried out to the Lord and said, We have sinned because we have forsaken the Lord and have served the Baals and the Ashtaroth. But now deliver us from the hands of our enemies, and we will serve you. Then the Lord sent Jeroboam and Bedon and Jephthah and Samuel and delivered you from the hands of your enemies all around, so that you lived in security. When you saw that Nahash, the king of the sons of Ammon, came against you, you said to me, No, but a king shall reign over us, although the Lord your God was your king. Now therefore, here is the king whom you have chosen, whom you have asked for, and behold, the Lord has set a king over you. If you will fear the Lord and serve him, and listen to his voice, and not rebel against the command of the Lord, then both you and also the king who reigns over you will follow the Lord your God. If you will not listen to the voice of the Lord, but rebel against the command of the Lord, then the hand of the Lord will be against you, as it was against your fathers. Through his words of farewell, Samuel tells the Israelites to only serve God who led them since Egypt. Also, he told them once again how requesting a king when God is the true king was wrong. Then he warns that if the Israelites continue to do evil things, then God will punish them along with the king. Samuel promised that he will not stop praying for the people and the nation. He laid down his duty as a judge, but he will continue to act as a prophet and chief priest. As God's speaker, Samuel faithfully carried out his role as a mediator between God and his people. He ruled the people with fairness, without any deceit, and ended the work of leading the age of the judges to the age of the kingship. He opened the way for Saul, the first king of Israel, to take on his duty as king. This concludes today's episode. I'll see you next time from the story of the kings. Thank you for listening and goodbye. Good.
Coming up next is a sermon by Pastor Mark Martin of Calvary PHX in Phoenix, Arizona. Today's topic is Promises of Jesus. I hope you have a blessed time with Pastor Mark. Um, a while ago, I went to pick up the mail, and how you look through, most of it's junk. But there was something that looked interesting. It was an invitation. I opened it up, and some invitations are kind of insincere. You're the person, you come to church, it's a new church, you, you sit down for a few weeks of this one couple is so nice to you, finally they invite you over, you're surprised, after church to eat at their house, and so you go to their house, and after uh, lunch and a conversation, they begin to tell you, hey, we have a business opportunity that we would like to talk to you about. And so, you know, you sit through and you're thinking, the only reason you've been nice to me, the only, I mean, that's what you're thinking. It might not be, but that invitation was maybe not as sincere as you thought it might be. Or um, some just seem too good to be true, like the timeshare invitations. <laughs> invitations. But Jesus gives us a sincere invitation. It's found here in Matthew 11, verse 28, and I just think what a great invitation to begin with. Matthew 11, verse 28, and it begins with the, um, there in verse 28, we'll read through 29, 30 actually. Here it is. Jesus says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus extends this invitation again to all who are weary and carry heavy burdens. It could be translated, those who are tired from hard work. Those who are tired from hard work or those who work to the point of exhaustion. So he's, he's saying, those of you who are so exhausted, come to me. The context is that Jesus was speaking to a crowd composed of both Jews and some Gentiles. And the Jews, if you look at the context, I, I think a lot of it is set in the next chapter, chapter 12, more than in, in, in chapter 11. But it, for the Jews, it's a matter of uh, the Jews who were listening were just bound under regulations and laws that weren't really even commanded in the Scripture. There were laws around the laws around the laws to make sure you didn't break the law, if you understand what I'm saying. God might say, don't do this, but in order to keep you from doing that, a law was put around that law. And then there was an extra law put around that extra law to make Sure, you wouldn't sin. And the deal was, it was just impossible. The next chapter 12 talks about the Sabbath command and, and how it was being enforced, and it was really not what God ever intended. And so in view of that, the Jews are there, and the heavy burden that's upon them is the burden of these extra laws that were placed upon them because Jesus, he, earlier in Matthew, he rebuked the religious leaders saying, in Matthew 23, he says, they tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on people's shoulders. Legalistic religion is always a heavy burden. It's so hard. 
I grew up that way. Leslie, my wife, we, we both grew up that way. Uh, it, it's hard. It's heavy. Maybe you feel like you're under that. Hopefully not if you're going to church here. But maybe you've come out of that background. Or you're able to sneak away from where you have that heavy burden because you feel the freedom of the gospel. But they were under that, Jews who were listening. Then there were also some Gentiles that were listening. And their burden, their heavy burden, was that they were under the burden of sin and guilt. They were separated from God, the Bible says. And so whether you were trying to please God or you felt you were separated and were seeking God, both groups are under, under heavy burdens. And Jesus gives the same invitation. He says, come to me. Your burden may be different uh, than a Jews or a Gentiles here, but no matter what your burden might be, the invitation stands. Jesus says, come to me. It's very simple. Come to Jesus. It's not complicated. Amen. Let's drop the mic and go home. I mean, that really, if you come to Jesus, everything falls into place. But that isn't all that Jesus said. His invitation leads to his promise, which is cool. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He says, take my yoke upon you. Now, most of us don't know what the yokes. This is talking about a harness made for a pair of animals. It was a harness made to pair uh, animals that would draw things uh, together. So uh, here is what they would look like. Here is just a very simple drawing of what a yoke is. Modern yokes can look the same. There you see two draft animals pulling together with a yoke around uh, upon their shoulders that fitted them. And so let's say that you need a yoke because you, you just got another ox and you want to, uh, you need help with, you got a bigger plow or you got a huge cart, wagon. So you would go to a carpenter and the carpenter wouldn't just make, you know, small, medium, large, and you go pull one off the shelf. They were all handmade. They were all custom made. You would take your animal. The carpenter would take measurements, um, be very careful that um, he understood if the animal had anything different. One shoulder was higher than the other. You know, that kind of thing happens. He would select the right piece of wood, and uh, he would make it tailor fit for that animal. And then when the yoke was finished, you'd bring your animal back, The yoke would be placed upon that animal and and the other, and you would make sure that it was uh, fitted well. And Jesus says, take my yoke upon you. And one of the things uh, that he's implying is that he's inviting us to come alongside him. See, the yoke was made often, most of the time, for two animals. And so Jesus is saying, take my yoke upon you. That means come alongside me. Be literally, you saw how those animals look just then, right? They're yoked together. They can't go apart. They're supposed to stay together. And Jesus is saying, be yoked with me. Is that cool? Also, just a little aside, when Paul talks to the Corinthian Christians and he says, don't be unequally yoked together with unbelievers, you see the picture now? Because what if the unbeliever wants to go this way and you want to stay following the Lord? 
it's going to be hard to stay on track with the Lord. So there's your picture and a context for that as well. But coming back to our passage, you know, whatever, uh, Jesus wants you to pull with him. He wants to pull with you. And whatever burden you're asked to bear, who's pulling next to you? Jesus. And I think it's significant that a carpenter, Jesus was a carpenter, how many yoke for oxen must he have made in his lifetime? He is using this imagery. And they're probably out in the field because he loved to teach using visual aids. And so they're out in the field and he's basically pointing at the, the oxen out there, yoked together, and he said, very clear. We don't do those things, so we have to have this all explained. As Jesus was speaking, all these lights were coming on in people's, in people's heads, but we need the explanation. But here is Jesus the carpenter. Take my yoke, the one I build. I make the best yokes. I want a yoke that is stamped Jesus, not made in China or made anywhere else. I want it stamped Jesus Christ. How about you? And any other yoke won't fit right. They just won't fit right. Jesus tells us more about his yoke there in verse 30. He says, for my yoke is easy to bear and the burden I give you is light. Now, if you would circle the the word easy, okay, for my yoke, my yoke is, he says, easy. My yoke is easy. Um, Might be verse 30. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Circle it and put a little line to the margin or something. The word easy means well-fitted. Now that helps, doesn't it? My yoke is easy, what's an easy yoke? It means it's well-fitted. And that's something to think about. Like I said, every yoke had to fit the animal perfectly and then the work wouldn't be painful. Jesus continues, let's go back to verse 29. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Learn from me. Um, When students came and they chose a rabbi. And by the way, it was students who chose a rabbi. They would say, that's the guy I want to follow. They would then be, it would be said that they were now taking the yoke of rabbi so-and-so. And so when Jesus is saying, come to me, take my yoke upon you, all those people would already know what I just explained. They would know, oh, You want us to follow you, and if we follow you, that means you're our rabbi. We're taking your yoke upon us, your yoke of instruction. That's why he says, and learn of me, learn from me, and that means that we are students of Jesus. We call ourselves disciples, but maybe that word's overused, and and followers, maybe we should think of ourselves as students of Jesus, and we're learning from Jesus. Jesus, my teacher. I'm in Jesus school all day long. How about you? I mean, it's all day long we're being instructed by him. And theologically, there are a thousand and one things that you can be learning. I mean, some of you are in Bible college. Others of you are continuing your your education. and, And it could just be here in our church studies. But you know there's, there's a ton of stuff you don't understand, and theologically, there's so much more to learn. But I'm telling you, Jesus says, there's one thing that I want you to focus on, and that's me. Learn from me. That's what you need to know, is more about Jesus. Learn from me. Learn about me. I'm the one that you need to get your eyes on, you weary ones. So he says, come to me, learn from me. You see that so far? 
And then he doesn't use this word, but I explain the ideas there. Then he says, submit to me. Come to me, learn from me. And now he says, submit to me. And I'm, I'm finding that in verse 29, where he says, I am gentle and lowly in heart. That, the gentle there isn't, uh, I'm a pushover. That's not what that means. It means that I am strength under control. A gentle horse, a horse powerful animal, but when it was trained and it, and it strength under control. So he says, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. This is talking about submission because part of taking a yoke means you submit to that yoke. The yoke was designed to fit an animal only when its neck was bowed. You understand that? They were to pull with their shoulders and pull with their shoulders, their heads and necks had to be bowed. And if some ox, I guess, were to rear its head up, the yoke then would chafe against it and the oxen could die from uh, a wound that got an infection in it and they didn't have antibiotics or things like that. So for this whole thing to work, the, the ox had to submit, had to bow its head as it walked along with its partner. And so Jesus had said, you remember the picture there of the two ox, oxen, Jesus says, now what I want you to do is that I want you to submit to me. You're walking with me, but you gotta stay with me. It's true also when Jesus says, learn of me, that uh, a lesser experienced, maybe a first timer <laughs> in a yoke, would learn from the experienced ox how to do this, how to walk. Well, I've never done this before. My first time being a Christian. Have any of you been a Christian twice? No. You know, it's like being a parent. You know, if you could do it the second time, you'd do it a whole lot better, right? But here you go. We've never done this before. Jesus doesn't expect us to be experts in being Christians. You understand that? He doesn't expect you to know everything. He doesn't expect you to do everything right. He expects that you'll fail. Doesn't mean you want to, but it's no shock. He's not in heaven going, ah, I can't believe it. I am shocked with Mark. I never expected this. Come on. This is my first time through this. It's your first time through this. We have Jesus as our teacher, as our model, as the one who is walking beside us. Well, what if he moves away from me? He can't. You're bound together. You understand that? And we come to Christ. We are bound together with Christ. And this yoke imagery, it's a great image that we don't often think about of what happens when we're saved and we're bound together with Jesus. Because he's talking to people who aren't saved at this point in the context. And so this is really the offer of salvation. Come to me, take my yoke, my teachings. Be bound together with me, walk with me. Let me be your teacher. You know, if an experienced carpenter made the yoke and the animal was hurt, there was no design problem. There was an attitude problem. The carpenter knew what he was doing. He took the measurements. The thing would fit. But if the animal wouldn't submit, wasn't the carpenter's problem. Wasn't a design problem. It was an attitude problem. And you know, many people don't want to humble themselves and submit to the Lord's yoke. Maybe they rear their heads up and say, I'm not going to be yoked to anything. Well, that's foolishness, okay? That's foolish. God 
called you to serve him. Now, here's the thing. If you don't submit to wearing the yoke Jesus has made for you, you're going to wear yourself out. You're going to hurt yourself. He knows how different you are, so he doesn't make yokes in small, medium, and large, and extra large. You know what I'm saying? That he doesn't pull yokes off the shelf. He designs your yoke specifically for you, and there's no one like you. You can rest assured that the yoke that Jesus makes for you is well-fitted. And it's not my yoke for you. It's not your yoke for someone else. And we can't place our yoke on someone else. And you can't live under somebody's expectation that you should be in this yoke. You can never, you just can't do that. And if you're doing that, it's miserable. You've got to be in the yoke that Jesus has designed and created for you. And if you don't, you're going to get worn out by your responsibilities. I mean, maybe it's parenting. Parenting's hard, isn't it? I mean, you're finally done with it. You think that was hard. And then you start all over because, you know, you're, once your kids get married, you're still all concerned for your kids, aren't you? Uh, you'll never stop worrying about your kids. You know, that, that's true, that kind of thing. But parenting, maybe it's a load of suffering, that burden of suffering, or it could be uh, pressures or marriage, and there's so many burdens that we can carry. And Jesus says, take my yoke upon you. And I don't think that just means Jesus' personal yoke. I think it means take my yoke, the made-by-Jesus one, and put that on. Problems will come, we're not pulling with the right yoke. When you're not wearing the Lord's yoke, every step can be painful and blistering, and that's not good for you. Usually when I'm discouraged or down, I'm trying to go on my own. Maybe I'm making a yoke myself, and it's just not fitting right. And Jesus comes through and he says, my yoke isn't that way. My yoke is well-fitted, and that makes the burden light. We have the choice to take Jesus' yoke or not or die under the strain of somebody else's burden that they've placed upon us. Now, Jesus tells us more about his yoke in verse 30. He says, for my yoke is easy to bear and the burden I give you is light. My burden is light. When Christians walk around with heavy burdens, Basically, heavy burdens and, oh, how do I say this? Because I don't want anybody to feel bad. When they walk around with heavy burdens and they have bad attitudes about it, I'm not going to say you can't tell people you have a heavy burden. You know, we don't want to be people who are insincere, right? But when your attitude is bad about a burden, maybe, again, you're not wearing the Lord's yoke, and that ought to be a clue. Hey, uh, this is blistering, or I'm not submitting to what God has for me, and it's hurting. You can wear yourself out trying to work for Jesus, doing things only Jesus can do. We can't fit in Jesus' yoke. That is personally the one that he carries. We can wear the one that he made for us, but we can't wear Jesus' personal yoke. There's things that only Jesus can bear, only Jesus can pull. You're not Jesus. You can't be Jesus for somebody else. Jesus never meant you to be working for him, 
and weary and saying, oh, what a, what a burden it is serving the Lord. Either the burden is light or it isn't the Lord's burden. You may be serving according to the need of the hour instead of according to the will of God. So he says, come to me, learn of me, take my yoke, submit to me, and then he promises, I will give you rest, he says, and you shall find rest for your soul. I love it. I need rest. How about you guys? After the holidays, you need rest. You need to catch up from the best time of, you know, the year, Jesus' birthday. Or I want to share with you uh, five definitions of rest that the dictionary gives. Normally, you don't go to the dictionary for, you know, Bible study. But somebody's pointed out that these five definitions are, are spot on when we talk about the kind of rest that Jesus gives us. The first definition is of rest is cessation from action, motion, labor, or exertion. That's kind of the common definition. You know, I'm, I'm not working. I'm resting. Jesus has come to me, and you'll get rest. And he's talking about you don't have to work for your salvation. Speaking to the Jews, speaking to the Gentiles, there originally, he's saying, look, come to me. I'm your salvation. I'm the one who will give you I've done the work for you. Now you can rest. In fact, you must rest if I save you. And second, rest is described as freedom from that which wearies or disturbs. Oh, that's off my mind. You ever have that? Oh, that's off my mind. Somebody was telling me earlier today that somebody did something and and now feels so at rest. I finally got that done. Maybe there's some little thing that's bothering you and you finally talk to that person or you got the task done and you're thinking, oh, so glad this is over with. And so when we are the Lord's children, we don't have to be weary from concerns, you know? These things rob us. These cares and burdens rob us of our joy. Third, the dictionary defines rest as something that's fixed or settled. You can rest in that. That's a done deal. And to be in God's rest is to have that awesome assurance that I know that I'm saved, amen? That I can be confident that Jesus who began a good work in me is going to complete that work until the day that he returns. I'm his child that I have eternal life. These things, I can rest in that. I can be assured in that. Ah, Peace with God is what I have. The fourth definition is that rest is being confident and trustful. You know, I can rest assured that you're gonna do what you say. That's rest. That's a great definition. And when we enter God's rest, we're given the assurance again that what he promises will come true. And the last definition that the dictionary gives is actually leaning, the word we don't use a lot, reposing. Ah, you could say you're reposing on your chairs right now or depending on. 
leaning on the Lord. That's resting on the Lord. As children of God, we can depend upon our heavenly Father to take care of us. He wants us to lean on him. He wants us to put the full weight of our lives on him. We don't have to be independent. Hey, we're yoked together with Jesus, right? We're walking with Jesus. We've taken the yoke of our rabbi, of our teacher Jesus, and we're in Jesus' school all the time. (laughs) And we've only done this once. And we're learners all the way. Rest comes with a relationship with Jesus. It doesn't come any other way, and I don't know how anybody lives without it. So the invitation of Jesus is, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden. And now as we read this, so much more makes sense, doesn't it? And I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is well-fitted and my burden is light. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for the word, for the promises that are given to us, hundreds of promises that, that you have offered to us. And you said that if, if we will do these things, that we will find rest. You promised that rest for us. And how we need that to be able to lean on you to find, uh, just to be able to rest on your word, to know that what you've said is sure, to have that sense of relief that uh, there's nothing more for us to do. We're right with you. I want to be a student of yours. I want, as my brothers and sisters do as well, to, to take your yoke upon us. We want to learn from you. Thank you that every yoke here has been fitted perfectly. Everything about us. And so as long as we're fitted next to you, how safe we are. May we just stay submitted, humble, walking with you. And these are our our requests. This is... These are the things that we really want to do and we present them to you, our Father in Jesus' name. Amen.
You are now listening to Unity in Christ, the English hour of our broadcast program. Here at Heart and Soul Gospel Ministries, 
we strive to aid in the spiritual maturity of our listeners. Since 2000, we have dedicated our lives to make disciples of all nations through internet broadcasting or through our CD delivery program. Now you can find all the programs of Heart and Soul on podcast. All you have to do is search for Heart and Soul Gospel Ministries to listen to or download this week or past week's programs. Please don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. Coming up next is Praying for the Next Generation. Hello, my name is Deborah Joy. I'm the host of this program, Praying for the Next Generation. Let's begin by praising God for His goodness. Matthew chapter 19, verse 17 says, And He said to him, Why are you asking me about what is good? There is only one who is good. But if you wish to enter into life, keep the commandments. The Greek word for good is agasos, which means intrinsically good good in nature, good whether it be seen to be so or not, excellent, upright, and honorable. As to the believer, it also describes what originates from God and is empowered by Him in their life through faith. The first scripture reading is from Psalm 34, verses 7-10. through 10. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and rescues them. O taste and see that the Lord is good. How blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. O fear the Lord, you his saints. For to those who fear him there is no want. The young lions do lack and suffer hunger. But they who seek the Lord shall not be in want of any good thing. The next scripture reading is from Psalm 65, verses 4 through 8. How blessed is the one whom you choose and bring near to you to dwell in your courts. We will be satisfied with the goodness of your house, your holy temple. By awesome deeds, you answer us in righteousness, O God of our salvation. You who are the trust of all the ends of the earth and of the farthest sea, who establishes the mountains by his strength, being girded with might, who stills the roaring of the seas, the roaring of their waves, and the tumult of the peoples. They who dwell in the ends of the earth stand in awe of your signs. You make the dawn and the sunset shout for joy. Let's praise our good Father who is virtuous, excellent, and upright. 
Father, our hearts are bursting with joy as we celebrate your goodness. Our lips are full of perpetual praise and joyful songs of your mighty miracles. Everything you do is so beautiful and righteous, flowing from your abundant goodness and endless love. Let all the nations of the earth stand in awe of your goodness and sing songs of praise to you, our mighty God. For you deserve our highest praise forever and ever. Amen. Confession brings cleansing, healing, and deliverance in our hearts. Psalm 34 verses 17 and 18 says, the righteous cry, and the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. The Hebrew word for deliver is natel, which means save, recover, rescue, snatch away, and defend. Let us step boldly to the throne of grace and pour out our hearts to our good Father. God, we come before your holy presence, seeking your mercy and grace. We confess that we have misunderstood who you are because of the seasons of death, sickness, loss, and painful trials we have experienced in our lives. These difficult seasons distorted our views and beliefs of your true nature and caused hindrances in our hearts to trust your unfailing love and wonderful goodness. Lord, we have misjudged you out of our pain, fear, trauma, and disappointments in life and blamed you for the things you did not do. Please forgive our sins of doubt, unbelief, and offenses towards you. Father, deliver us fully from these sins and heal our broken hearts so that our hearts will be free to sing passionate songs of joy and deliverance to you. Amen. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 18 says, In everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. My brothers and sisters, are you thanking God in all of your circumstances? Regardless of what is happening around us, our God is good all the time. Let's trust His faithful love and expect to see His goodness in our lives as we praise Him with our thanksgiving. Father, thank You for creating us as Your masterpiece to accomplish the good works You planned for us long ago. We are confident that You will orchestrate everything to work together for good for Your holy lovers who are called according to Your purpose. Amen. Today's scripture for intercession is Colossians chapter 1, verses 9-12, through 12, which says, For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, 
We have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, to please Him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all power, according to His glorious might, for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience, joyously giving thanks to the Father, who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Let's pray. God, we come before you humbly and cry out for the next generation. Fill their hearts with holy desperation to seek your face and to know you as their Lord. Father, save this generation. Draw each one to yourself and cause them to be receptive to the message of the gospel. Fill them with your grace and divine hunger to serve you as their Lord in the spirit of holiness and radical obedience. Deliver them from the chains of wickedness and purify them by your precious blood so they will live as your chosen generation who are passionate about doing what is good and beautiful in your eyes. Fill them with the knowledge of your perfect will in all spiritual wisdom, divine insight, and understanding so that they would walk in the ways of true righteousness pleasing you in every good work, growing in the knowledge of your truth, and maturing in the rich experience of knowing you in your unconditional love and living word. Strengthen their inner man with your infinite power from the realm of your magnificent glory and consume their hearts with holy fire to fulfill divine destiny and every purpose you have given to this generation. In Jesus' mighty name we pray, Amen. Shall 
We are now ending our Unity in Christ broadcast. Thank you for listening, and I look forward to being with you again next week.